Welcome to the Bethel Podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend time in God's Word. We hope that today's message blesses you and lifts you. Matthew chapter 18 is where we are this morning. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. I spent most of my life, uh, verse number one is where you're going to start. I spent most of my life uh, now that I'm the age that I am as a Christian. I've spent more time as a Christian than not as a Christian. And I've noticed several things about you, Christian people. You're very interesting. You're very peculiar. You are very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Precious. That's not the right word, but you are precious. But I've noticed about you also is that you're very much achievers. You're the movers and the shakers in this world. And you wait. I've noticed this, that you understand the grace of God, that we're not saved by works, but we're saved by grace. But because you do understand the grace of God, you do great things in your world and in your life. On your home, and you achieve at your job, you achieve at church, in your walk with God, you pursue and go after God. And The Bible calls it bearing fruit. And I've just noticed that that's what you do. And so I got to thinking, when we get to heaven, Who's going to be the people that we look up to in heaven? Who are the movers and shakers of heaven that, that we're going to celebrate when we get there? And is it going to be maybe the guy who built a big church? Is that going to be the guy that's going to be the, the big shot in heaven? Or what about the, little, the girl with the great testimony of what God's power can do? Is that going to be the one that we celebrate in heaven? Is it the Billy Grahams? Maybe a famous evangelist. Are those the ones that we'll celebrate when we get to heaven? Who are going to be the A-listers when we get up there? Because we're going to spend a whole lot more time up there than we ever will down here. And so my question is this to God, who are the famous people in heaven? Matthew chapter 18. He begins to explain it because the disciples had the exact same question. I was sitting around one day, and it's interesting, this particular passage, before we read it, I'll give you some backstory. They were asking one another, who's going to be the greatest when Jesus leaves? They were kind of jockeying for position. They were walking down the road, and they were going, look, I, I don't know, but Peter, that guy, he's something else. I think he's going to be the next in line. I don't know, but James and John, they're the sons of thunder. And they were probably wondering who was the greatest in heaven. And, and Jesus, they get to the place where they're going, and Jesus asked them, what were y'all talking about over there on the road? What were y'all discussing? And they didn't want to say, well, we were talking about which one of us is going to be the greatest. So in Matthew chapter 18, they say, oh, we were just wanting to know when you get to heaven, who's going to be the greatest? And in verse number 1, it says, at the same time came the disciples to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called to them a little child. He set him in the midst of them. And he said, Verily I say unto you, except you turn and become as little children, you shall in no wise enter in the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. God looks across all the people in heaven. He sees all the, the, the mighty and the small and, and the, the well-known and the famous. When he looks at all the people in heaven, he says, the greatest in heaven is the child. Today, I just want to touch base to tell you about the power of a kid. Let's pray. Father, today in the name of Jesus, thank you for the power of a child. Thank you of this world of the, the greatest and the brightest and the best, that when you look across it, 
and you see a child, you point and say, that right there, that's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I pray today that every heart would grab this on the inside and that those that are kids at heart would realize it's God-ordained and God-given and that we'll never lose that. But thank you for the power of a kid. Thank you for the power of a child. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. How many have watched the movie Peter Pan? Peter Pan is a movie about a little boy who never wants to grow up. And I think it's interesting as we, as we see the story because to Jesus, there's some truth in Peter Pan. Because Jesus said, look, there's power in, the, in, in that of a child. There's something in the mind, in the soul, in the spirit of a child that makes it the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to ask the question today, why is there power in the kid? Just for, and this scripture gives us four easy points to, 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 to garnish today. And the first one says, he said in verse number three, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The way to get to heaven is just like a little child. He said, unless you change and become like a children, a little, ch- a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The one thing that I know about ch- children having four of them is, first of all, children are dependent on us. They're not self-sufficient, but they're dependent upon me and you as their parent. Parent supplies all the needs of their children. They provide their, their, their food. They provide their their clothes, a place to live. Children can't go out and earn money. They can't go out and they can't drive to a job. They can't cook and provide for themselves. They are 100% dependent upon the parent. Am I right? Say amen. Somebody went, say amen. In the same way, do you understand that that's how God has designed us to be dependent upon him? Is 100% dependent upon him where he supplies our every single need. He supplies our financial need. Your job is not your source. God's your your source. You say, well, my doctor, he takes care of my health. My friend, your doctor is not your source. God is your source. You say, well, my mental, my emotional needs, that comes from my friends and my family. My friend, your friend and your family is not your source. God is your source. We're to be 100% dependent upon him, and just as the parent's desire is to fill the child's needs, Almighty Father God's desire is to fill the needs of his children as well. And Jesus says that's the way to get to heaven. See, there's a lie out in the world today, in the Christian world today, in the religious world today, that says if you go somewhere and you pray a prayer and you mean it, then then you're going to go to heaven. And that's not what Jesus said right there. He said, you have to become like a little child and become completely dependent upon Almighty God. Lots of people have come and, and come and, and prayed a prayer and thought that that means that they didn't have to do anything else. Just pray that prayer and they could go to heaven. But God requires just a little bit more, more than that. He requires, us, he requires us to be completely dependent upon Him in every single area of life. Now, it don't happen all at once. Don't worry. <laughs> it takes a while. But that's the heart of Father God. There's a story in the Bible about a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to get to heaven? And Jesus said, well, look, you know the rules. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. He walked him through the commandments. And the young man said, well, I've done all that, I've done all this. And Jesus touched the one area that he was not completely dependent upon God yet. He said, look, first of all, go sell all your stuff, then give it to the poor and come follow me. And the Bible says the rich young ruler walked away sad because he had great wealth. And all Jesus was saying is, look, I want to be your everything for all of your life, for all of the time. 
Some of you, I think right now, you probably get this incredible suffocating feeling. When I said that God wants, to be, you, you wants us to be dependent upon him for everything, because you think, I don't know if I can trust God with everything. Just listen to what I just said. I don't think I can trust God with everything. Do you realize? Let me say this. You can trust God with everything. There's not one area of your life that you can't trust God with. You say, can I trust him with my finances? <laughs> Honey, yes, you can trust him. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills and all the corn underneath the cattle and all the taters underneath the corn. Everything that is, God owns it. He can take care of you and your, of your finances. What about my marriage? Can God take care of my marriage? Yes, he can. Yes, he can because, he, matter of fact, he's the one that created the institution of marriage. My kids, I got a kindergartner. How in the world can I take care of a kindergartner? Can I trust God with my kindergartner? Yes. He's had lots of kindergartners. And I've never seen a kindergartner who was stressed out over trusting their parents. Was worried if they were going to feed him. Worried if they were going to close him. They just did it. I've seen lots of stressed out parents with kindergartners. And I don't think you ever have to worry that God's stressed out, that he can't provide all of your needs and all of your desires and all of your wants for all of your life. Problems in our culture today, and you see it too, don't you, when children aren't cared for. Think of some of the biggest problems of the world today. They really, if you narrow it down, it comes down to when a child is not cared for. Think of the problems when a child isn't fed. Think of the problems when a child isn't loved. Think of the problems when a child isn't protected or, or when a child isn't taught. But something incredible happens when a child is fed and, and loved and protected and taught. They grow up and to be this incredible man or woman of, of God. And so God must feel the same way. He must feel the same way when he watches his children rise up and be dependent and completely uh, lenient on him. I can't help but wonder and think that God takes great satisfaction in providing not just a few of our needs, but all of our needs according to his riches and glory. That's why there's power in kid, because that's the way to get to heaven, is to be dependent upon him. Secondly, it's the key to being the greatest in heaven. How many know what, how many, how many have ever been the greatest at something? Me neither. He says, but in heaven, there's people that stand out above the others in heaven. They're called the greatest in heaven. Jonathan Thacker said it very well last, last week. He talked about how John the Baptist, that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the mighty John the Baptist because of the salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. He says this in, in verse number four. He says, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then in King James, it says it like this, whoever shall humble themselves as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He says, whoever is the humblest now will be the greatest then. Whoever is the lowest now is the greatest then. Whoever takes the back seat now will be the driver then. Do you understand? Jesus had these mighty men of God in this little circle, this little conversation. He's heart to heart. He's having. This is the height of Jesus' ministry. The disciples had all been sent out. They'd all come back. People began to know their name. They'd seen devils cast out. They'd seen lame walk at their own hands, at their own prayers. They were getting to be well-known in, in all of Israel. And they're wanting to know who the greatest of all of them is. 
They're the Iron Man. I mean, Jesus is the Iron Man, and they're the superheroes that are going to begin to take his place. And Jesus takes this little bitty child, places it right in the midst of him, and says, that's the superhero right there. That's the greatest of all. And Jesus knew this particular trick, and not a trick, I guess this particular principle that maybe you and I should talk about this morning. And he knew that the way up is down. The way up is down. The way to being something great is to find somebody else and to serve them. The great people in this world have people serving them. That's how we know the great people in this world, how many people do they have working for them or serving them. Jesus said the greatest people in the kingdom of heaven is how many people, not that can serve you, how many people can I serve? I think it's just eye-opening. It's so rich when Jesus talks about taking a child and putting in the midst of these mighty men of faith. If you don't know what I'm talking about, <clears throat> how many have ever had to do chores as a kid? How many liked doing chores as a kid? Let me tell you something. I want you to know something. I asked the question, how many did chores as a kid, and only two people raised their hand. The rest of y'all, when you go home today, you need to do some chores. I hate to do chores. Cutting the grass, taking the dishes out of the washer, putting the dishes in the washer, taking the trash out to the, to the curb. I could not stand to, to do those things. But Jesus says this. He says to be up, you got to be down. You got to learn how to, to realize that that's how God works. That we, God, Jesus didn't come in this world to, to be served. He came in this world to serve. And like the, the God is, and so are we, it's to serve people. And you know what? It's the greatest joy in the world to serve people, isn't it? You can feel just in the mully grubs. You can feel just discouraged and depressed. And all of a sudden, you do something for somebody else, and it just makes you feel better, doesn't it? Matter of fact, children, the thing is, is I love it because lots of times we give our children the jobs that we don't really like. All the kids are going, what? Sorry, it's just when you're a parent, you'll do the exact same thing. Sometimes the things that we don't like to do, we give to our kids. And you know what? Lots of times, most of the times, hopefully most of the times, kids always do it. And God's saying the same thing. It's, it's a child. The child will just serve if you ask him to. You ask them to take the trash out, they'll take the trash out. They, 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 they just do it. And he said, whoever, Jesus said these words, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Jesus is asking you to give your life up for him. Well, that's probably not a whole big shouter, is it? He's asking you to, 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 to take your ambitions and your goals and your dreams and your purposes and your plans and put them on the side and reach out and find somebody else to serve them for him. It's interesting to me as he says these things, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the least here in the world. So maybe we won't see the Billy Grahams as the who's who in heaven. Maybe we'll see Billy Graham's secretary's assistant. Maybe she'll be one of the who's who when we get to heaven. Maybe it won't be the pastor who built the big church. Maybe it'll be the little lady that nobody saw that prayed and asked God to raise up a church in their community. Maybe it wasn't the missionary that went and sent the, 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 the preached to the masses. Maybe it's not that one. Maybe it's the little person, the little boy and the girl that gave the BGMC and went to do something, a fundraiser for BGMC to send that missionary. It's the power of a kid. It's the power of a child. How wonderful is the child and, and kids in this world. Thirdly today, 
God thinks so much of kids. He says there's a blessing to those who bless them. Look at your next verse number five. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever spanks a child in my name welcomes me. It doesn't say that. Whoever disciplines a child in my name welcomes me. It doesn't say that. But whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And I like that. And all the kids should say amen right now. We tip our hat rightfully slow to teachers who spend their lives educating students. Thank God for them. We tip our hat to daycare workers, people who spend their days taking care of the, least, the, the smallest and the little guys. And we tip our hat to them, and rightfully so. Coaches, we tip our hats to them because they take our, our young men and try to turn them into men. All different types of people, pediatric nurses and doctors that, that spend their time taking care of children, and we tip our hats to them because it's a noble cause to pour yourself into the life of a child. But watch what Jesus said. He said this, whoever welcomes one such a child in my name welcomes me. He says it's not just to be gracious to a child. It's to welcome them in my name. And I bet in that moment every one of the disciples wanted to be in kids' ministry. I mean, you think about these disciples as they're sitting there looking at this child, listening to these words. I mean, you just think about what they've seen. They've seen dead people raised. They've seen Jesus feed the masses. They've watched as, as they, through their own hands that de demons have been cast out. And here he's putting this little child. He says, look, there's a blessing if you just say hello to a child in my name. Imagine the, the thought that was going through their mind. Imagine how that elevated a child in their community, in their culture. In their culture, it was a little different than ours. Sometimes we have elevated children in our culture almost to a place of being an idol. In their culture, children were a little bit, kind of one of those are to be seen and not heard. They just didn't have the same stature as an adult. But can you imagine what Jesus did for that entire community and that nation when he raised the child up and helped it to be a, <clears throat> to give it the identity that, it's, that God designed it to have? I'm sitting here debating whether to talk politics or not. And I know that some people don't like it when you preach on politics. And some people, that's all they like when you, it is for you to preach on politics. Can I kind of go down the middle? Can I just maybe straddle the fence, so to speak? Talk about it and not really talk about it? I'll say this when I was in seventh grade, talking about equality, how Jesus gave equality to children just by the words that he just spoke. When I was in seventh grade, there was a kid, and he wanted to be my friend. And, and kind, of, kind of weird. If, I don't know if you've ever had a friend that kind of pushy to be your friend. And uh, he always wanted to, you know, everywhere I was, he was there. I'd be doing my work, look up, he's staring at me, grinning. And, and just always, he was always my biggest friend until he got some other friends, and then he'd had no, he no longer had a use for me. And uh, so once he had, you know, he, the pleasantries were over, and all of a sudden he kind of became a bully to the point that where he just didn't want, I mean, every time he saw me, he just wanted to fight. And, um, and I learned something that just as soon as he, you know, he, he had gotten what he needed, and he had, he, the pleasantries and the niceties were over. And I got to thinking about the, the world leaders that we have today and the political leaders we have today, and they talk about equity and they talk about fairness and they talk about universal rights and they give out money and they talk about all these compliments and things they're going to do. And I wonder if it's not the exact same thing, that as soon as they get what they want, all the niceties are going to be over and all the pleasantries are going to be over. 
Because let me tell you something, friend. The only person that can bring equality into this world is Jesus Christ. Because the way to, to, to bring equality is you've got to change a man's heart, not just his head. And when Jesus Christ changes a man's heart, all, the way, all of a sudden you begin to see people in a different way. But if you think that you can just bring justice into the world and equality in the world by legislating it, my friend, you just cannot do it. And I want you to know something today, that there are those people in this world that think that they can somehow bring the world together just because we're so smart and we're so intelligent. The only thing that's going to bring the world together is those who come together in the name of Jesus because all are equal at the foot of the cross of Calvary. Nobody else can do what only Jesus can do. That's why we look so forward to the return of the Lord. Anybody excited about Jesus coming back? Anybody excited, thrilled that Jesus is coming back to restore order to the world? to restore peace to the world, to restore joy to the world, to bring equality among the masses because he's the only one can, that can do it. And I believe this, that when the Bible says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, I believe it's still a prayer you and I ought to pray today. In the midst of all that we have, God, in the midst of all that we see, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I believe it's time for the people of God to rise up and believe that you've got to change a human heart before you can ever change a nation or a world. If you ever gone fishing, this is my closing on politics, and you haven't seen a spinnerbait to a fish, it's real shiny, kind of glittery, kind of lights up in the water. Looks real appealing, doesn't it? But what that fish doesn't know is behind all the glitz and all the glamour, there's a hook. And that hook has been designed to ensnare him. And there are those today, my friends, listen to me closely, and they talk about pleasantries, and they talk about shiny things and glitz and pomp and glamour, but what they don't tell you is that there is a hook behind it to ensnare the masses of people. And the only hope, my, is my friend, the only hope for the world is government that allows the gospel to be preached to all the nations of the world. The only type of government that will work in this world is the one that allows Jesus Christ free reign to go to the Chinese, to the Asian, to the African, to the, to the Hispanic, to everybody that the gospel can be preached, that a man's heart can be changed, and he can have a brand new life because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only thing that will change the world is Jesus Christ. And lastly today, I'm done with that, I talked about the power of a kid and to know that this more than anything, that God watches carefully over kids. He says this in verse 6, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Let me read that to you one more time. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble. It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. God thinks so much about little guys and little people. Thanks so much. He didn't even say that about us. He said if you cause a, a, a grown person to stumble, that kind of uh, punishment's not there. But he says if there's any of the little people, and you would cause one of them to stumble in their faith in God. He said it would be better, better for them to have a millstone, three or four hundred pound rock, tied around their neck and cast into the sea. Now, I don't know what you see when you see that happening in your mind, but that would end up well for the guy that's got the chain wrapped around his neck. 
And Jesus says this, children are so precious. They're so personal to me. And I so much want them to grow in their faith and their walk with God that if somebody was ever, even to cause them to stumble, not fall, but stumble in their faith, I said, that's the result. I've said this many times, and I believe it to be true. Parents who don't teach their children about the ways of God, that is child abuse. If you don't teach your children, people who don't teach their children about Jesus Christ, that is the ultimate child abuse. Because, see, that child cannot protect themselves. They can't defend themselves. They can't help themselves. And God says this, we've got to take care of those little children. In my mind, here's what happens. Right now, you know who the most important people in our church are? There's a nursery class right there. Those are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's a building out there. And Jesus said this, you know in our church who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are? It's those little babies. And we've got to protect them. We've got to keep them. We've got to watch out over them. We've got to be that, the, the person who will watch and keep and protect those guys until they grow into their own faith. I told you about my mother several times and, and how she was a protector of us. And There was a snow day when I was five years old. My brother was seven and eight, and we had bullies come down the street, and they were, they were bullies. My neighbor friends, they were girls. They were 11 and 12 years old. They were outside with us, and they came down and started throwing snow at us, and they hit the neighbor girl in the, in, the, in the stomach and just really was kind of ugly. And all of a sudden, the door opened of my neighbor girl's uh, house, and I thought, finally, we're going to get somebody to come help us. And it was her, her dad. He was, he was an older gentleman, and he had on his uh, pajamas. And he wasn't the most intimidating thing in the world to look at when you're staring at two bullies throwing snow at you. And I just remember thinking, that's probably not going to get the job done. And my dad was at work, and I was th- also my second thought was if my dad was here, he was a big burly man. If he was here, this would be over just like that. So sitting there, and these guys, and just, I mean, we're just kind of giving it to us. And then the front door of my house opens up, and my mother comes out. She's about 5'2", about 110 pounds. She's really not that big of a woman. But she really turned awful big, I found out, when somebody started messing with her kids. It was snowing outside, and she had on tennis shoes, jeans, and, and like a, a real thin sweater. And she starts screaming at these boys. But they're bullying us. And uh, I just have never felt such a weird feeling in all my life because I just knew these boys were bigger than my mother. And if it got into a fist fight, I thought she would lose. But something happens when you begin to hurt somebody's kids and, and, and it just turns a person into an abnormal person. And my mother, and I went back to the house and counted the steps. She jumped off the top of the, of the porch to the bottom step. She didn't go down the steps. There's four steps there. She jumped off the top to the bottom. She starts chasing these boys down the street, the middle of the street in a snowstorm. In her tennis shoes, her thin sweater, and her jeans. And the thing is, is we're watching this all happen with nobody could say a word. Our mouths were almost completely wide open. My friends thought that the boys were going to kill my mother. I knew my mother better than that. She was going to kill those boys. And I watched, and I, and I watched, and, and she caught up with the slow one. Listen, if you're ever, ever two of you, don't be the slow one. She caught up with the slow one, and she tackled him in the snow. I've never been so proud of my mother. Razorback football had nothing on her. She tackled him. And that wasn't enough. Then she got on top of him. She started dumping snow in the face, in his face. We thought she was going to bury him there, right in the middle of the street. She's yelling out loud, yelling out loud, how do you like that, you big bully? 
And I sat there and looked at that, and then I thought about this right here, and I thought, I wonder if God ever feels the exact same way about us. The difference is he's not five foot two and 110 pounds soaking wet. He is the creator of the universe. Everything that is came from his hand. And when somebody attacks one of his little ones, somebody attacks one of his children, he gets to the place where he says, look, it would be better for them to have a millstone hung around their mouth, their, their, their neck, and thrown into the sea. I think that day my mother had the millstone ministry. I want to say this to those who can't protect themselves, to those who can't defend themselves, to those who can't help themselves, God will. Let me say it one more time. If you've ever felt like that you couldn't protect yourself, if you've ever felt like that you could not defend yourself, if the people that were speaking or talking against you, you didn't know how to have the right answers to, to answer them, if you ever felt like that you were just completely helpless, I want you to know something, that God helps the helpless. And for those that would ever cause a child to stumble in their faith in God, to believe God less, to make him look bad, to cause him to turn away from him, I want you to know something. God takes great issue with those people. When the Bible says that children are a heritage of the Lord, they are precious in his eyes and precious in his sight. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it challenges you to dig deeper into the Word of God and grow your faith. If you would like to reach out to us, please visit our website at www.mybethel.net. Thank you.